Good morning, everybody. You're, you're probably wondering why I'm preaching, not Pastor Chad. I took a little bit, but I talked him into letting me get up and preach today. And uh, this is October. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. And uh, I will tell you, we are very blessed to have Pastor Chad and Angela as our pastors. And uh, yeah, you can give them a round of applause. I won't sit here and tell you everything they do or the the sacrifices they make for this church, but the board understands like it is unbelievable what they do for us and their leadership. And uh, man, we're so grateful for you guys. Thank you all. And it uh, and for him to allow me to preach after not preaching the last two weeks and not next week, it was a fight almost. But he he agreed because you know we don't want to overwhelm him and. Uh, he does so much for us behind the scenes that we don't see, and his leadership is so important that, you know what, we have enough people here, we need to be helping him. And if we're not helping him, if you're not involved in helping, come see one of us, we'll get you involved, because, you know what, all the responsibility comes down on his shoulders eventually, but we can at least take some of the small work off of him. And uh, we are so grateful for Pastor Chad and Angela, and uh, don't forget... Show them your appreciation this month. And uh, if we were better at organization, Pastor Chad's the organizer of all of our leaders. So if he doesn't organize it, the rest of us forget to organize stuff. So we did not come up with a Pastor Appreciation Day thing. So uh, you guys can help with that. So um, let's get into the Word. Mark 14, verse uh, 3. And if you were here Wednesday night, you know we went over this. This chapter, this, this, these very verses, but as I was sitting there on Wednesday night, I just, I'd been studying this for a few weeks and, and it took all I could to not share what the Lord had given me. And I didn't know why I wasn't allowed to share in that moment. It was because I was to share today. So, uh, let's go to Mark 14, 3. And it says, while he was in Bethany, reclining at a table in the home of Simon a leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for many, for more than a year's wages and a money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. And Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be also told in memory of her. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you that you love us so much that you had a plan of action, God. I pray that you see the little things, God, and you see our hearts, God. And I pray today, Lord, that you would open our hearts, that your words would flow through me, Lord, that you would speak, and we would all receive what you have for us and be forever changed in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a couple things I want to point out before I get deep into this text, I want you to see that it said that uh, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another. In Matthew's account, it says 
the disciples were getting indignant, right? And then Judas, in John's account, it says it was Judas. Uh, but Mark, Matthew, and even later on in Luke, you'll see that it wasn't, wasn't just Judas. There was others involved. Now, Judas may have been leading this whole thing, but it doesn't seem like he was the only one involved in it. And uh, whenever I read that, whenever you hear the words that says they become indignant, the word indignant doesn't mean like it was a righteous anger. The word indignant means that it's a, uh, they were angry over a pursu- uh, perceived unfairness. So they were perceiving something wasn't fair there. Why is she giving this to Jesus when she could be doing something else with it? Right? It was something in their heart they were perceiving as a wrong. But we learn later on it isn't. We, we learn later on that their thought of unfairness was not the same thought of unfairness that Jesus had, right? So, I'm going to share this word today, but I'm going to tell you the truth that it, be, it was first a word for me. So I'm driving down a road a few weeks ago, probably almost a month ago now, and I'm heading home from work, and you all see those billboards all over that, that have the lottery numbers on them, you know, and it's like Powerball, 700 million, the other one, how many ever millions, and then the other one, how many ever millions, right? I don't know all the names, but there's a lot of millions in it, you know, and I'm sitting here and I'm driving down a road and I'm thinking, man, there's billions of dollars every year spent on a lottery. Lord, why couldn't these people use that to bless your kingdom? And then I just waited. I was thinking, like, God's going to give me something profound here. Right? God's going to say, well, people just need to learn. You know, they need to be led into knowing where they're wrong. Or I was thinking, like, maybe he's saying, like, well, they're evil is all they're thinking about. Or they're greed. But he didn't lead me to that, unfortunately. He led me Matthew 7, verse 3. And this isn't the word I thought I was going to hear while I'm driving down the road. And, but it says, Why do you see, see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And uh, I'm not saying playing the lottery is righteous. I'm not even saying it's good. But here I am driving down a road trying to, having a perceived unfairness of how they're spending their money when there was something wrong in my heart. I didn't know. Like I'm sitting here thinking, like I don't even play the lottery. I don't even gamble. I used to back in the day, but I don't. I give when I'm supposed to give. But then God told me, your heart's not always pure. Your heart's not always set on me. Your heart's not always doing the right thing, and yet you're asking others to do what you're not even doing. Right? We are really good as a people at pointing out what we think is unfair or unrighteous or not the right thing Yet we're not very good all the time at living it out. At being the greatest example wherever we go. Right? And so, I'm going to go to Luke 7, verse 36, which is Luke's account 
of the woman who's pouring out the anointing oil. Now, throughout the four Gospels, you can study it. You, you realize that it's Mary, uh, Lazarus's sister, who's doing this very thing, right? And she had quite the past. But it says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, that Pharisee was known either as Simon the Pharisee or Simon the teacher or Simon the leper. All the same person, right? You're going to see in all four accounts, it's the same person. And later on, when he's talking to Simon, he's not talking about Simon Peter. He's talking about Simon the Pharisee. Okay. It says, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. That right there, when you sit there and you read that, like, as a guy with no hair, it's not that big of a deal. But as a woman whose beauty was how she was earning money, to take her hair and to wipe Jesus' feet with it, it's crazy. I don't know any woman in this room right now that wipes somebody else's feet with her hair. And she's coming off the street and doing it in a time period where her feet were really nasty, right? She's doing something amazing here. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And before I just go right past that, a lot of times we'll read that and we'll think, like, what a judgmental jerk. But how many times have we seen somebody around somebody we perceive as a bad person and then start judging them for being with that person? Or how many times do we just judge how people are, period? When somebody comes around, you know, they're... I'm not going to get into that. It, uh, we'll be here all day if I get into that. And Jesus answered, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Let me tell you, when Jesus says that to you, you're probably not in the right. I don't want God to ever say to me, Eddie, I have something to say to you. I'm probably going to say, I don't want to hear it. I'm going to leave. Uh, I'm wrong. I'm going to go humble myself and pray for the next 10 hours. Right. But Simon said, say it, teacher. And he said, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon said, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the large debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. So that makes sense. The person who's being forgiven the most will be the most grateful. And you may think like, well, there's a lot of people who've sinned way more than I have. Does that mean I can't be as grateful as they are? No, it doesn't mean that. It means you need to stop trying to compare yourself to how much sin you have to somebody else. 
I promise you. If, you, if I said my testimony right now, Jeremiah says his testimony right now, his sounds worse. But the amount of evil in both of us is equal. There's the same amount of forgiveness that was poured upon me as there was him. It just, it's whenever I'm trying to hold on to thinking I'm not as bad. The difference is he got caught doing stupid stuff. I didn't get caught. And that's a true statement. I did a lot of stupid stuff in my life. I can go over it over and over and over and over. And somehow, by the grace of God, I never got caught. Right? Doesn't make me righteous. It doesn't mean I have less mess-ups. My heart was just as evil. Right? Then turning toward the woman. So Jesus turns and looks at the woman... But he's still talking to Simon. I don't know, man. I'd hate to be Simon in this. I just... You picture this interaction. It's like, man, poor Simon. What an idiot. Just like me. He says, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my hair with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And I I look at that very story... And I think about when I walk into just church, just on a Sunday service, not in my everyday life, I'm going to make it easy when I walk into church on a Sunday morning. And how do I receive Jesus? Where's my heart set at? How do I interact with Him? Where's my, what am I doing to bless Jesus, to show Him my love, my gratitude, Right? When somebody comes in here broken and they know, they know that they know that I need Jesus, you know where they're at? They're up here on their face crying out to Jesus, telling Him how much they love Him, how they don't deserve Him, and they can't get out of His presence. They're giving Him everything they have because they can't hold back. But somebody like me who forgets how much I've been forgiven can easily walk in sit down, have a good church service, and walk back out and never think once about who Jesus is. There's where Simon was wrong. Simon had the Messiah in his house. He didn't wash his feet. He didn't greet him with a kiss. He didn't even treat him as anybody different than anybody else. And I ask you on a daily basis, do you treat Jesus like he's different than anybody else? I'm going to tell you, I don't. I have my moments where I do pretty good at it. I have my moments where I remember to remember who Jesus is and how grateful I am and how how I just thank Him and I praise Him and I pray and I love Him. But then there's those days I just wake up and I go through the motions of life and I forget who it is who saved me. I forget 
who it is who's getting me through my day. I forget who it is who's providing all my needs. He can walk right into my house. I'm like, hey man, have a seat. Kick back. Never have a reverence for him. Never worshiping him. Never remembering he deserves all that I have. And that's where Simon was wrong. He didn't do anything different than everybody else in there except for her. Because not one other person got up and served him. Not one. And I think like on a Sunday morning, are we ever like that? Can we all come in? Not one person ever served Jesus and walked back out. And then when that one person comes in and they fall on their face and they just cry out to the Lord and we're all sitting here saying like, that's so beautiful. What he did was so beautiful. or What she did was so beautiful. What a wonderful moment. When we should be right there beside him. We should be remembering who he is. Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And I'm going uh, to be in Malachi 1. Now, Malachi 1 is a tough scripture. It's a, it's a good kick in the teeth that we need sometimes. But as I'm going through Malachi 1 and explaining why the Lord led me there, I don't want us to sit back and think like, There's two things I don't want us to do. I don't want us to think about how somebody else needs to hear it. And two, I don't want us to sit there and think, man, I'm horrible at this. I want us to sit here and think like, Lord, work on me in this. Lord, grow me in this, right? So Malachi 1, verse 6, I I skipped the first five because I get pretty deep. Now, if you want to study those first five, they're awesome. And they're really deep words. But they're not lining up with what God's called me to do today. So, verse 6 says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. That's such a beautiful saying, right? I mean, in your home, like if you go, for you adults that don't live with your parents, when you go to your parents, you honor them when you get in the house. You you respect them. You, you listen to them. You... You know, even when they come to your house, you still treat them like they're your father, right? Or your mother like your mother. Your parents, you give them uh, honor, you praise them. And even whenever you didn't have very good parents, whenever they're in your house, you treat them a little different, right? And then he talks about, and a servant does that with his master. If you were at work and the owner of the company came in, and you treated him like he was anybody else that was there, and you treated him like he didn't really matter, you may not have a job very long. But when the owner of the company comes in, you're like, uh-oh. i got to act like I'm doing my job right. i got to start doing something different. I need to give him the respect he deserves because he owns the company, and I work for him. And so there's a difference of the way we act oftentimes around human beings because of their status. And it's not wrong. We should give honor to those people. But then God says, if then I am a father, where is my honor? 
So God's saying, if you can honor those people, why am I not being honored? And you may say, like, I do honor God. And I will ask you this, how do you honor God? And I don't want you to tell me right now. I want you to think about that. How do you truly honor God? And is it when I remember I honor Him in this way, or is it I am always honoring God? Are we living to honor our Father? Right? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priest who despise my name. And, uh, you know, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but we do have a fear of Him. A fear of not having Him, a fear of what He's capable of, and just that overall awe of who He is. Right? And I, I, I wonder, and this one hit me. As I'm going through my day, is there ever actually a fear? in me, of my master, of my God, of what he's capable of, of who he is, and just what life would be without him. Like that fear of the master. He is our king. He is our Lord. He is the master. And yet, we like the buddy Jesus, but we don't like the Lord Jesus. Our buddy Jesus is cool to hang out with. We just go do whatever we want, and he doesn't need a whole lot of stuff from us. And But when we think of God as our master... We get nervous. We don't like that thought. But he is. Right? We should be living daily thinking about being a pleasing person to him. How we don't want to let him down. Not to try to earn his favor, but because he deserves it. Right? And uh, I like that he follows that up with, but you say, how have I despised your name? How have we despised your name? There's a big problem there. It's not just that they despised his name. They didn't realize they despised his name. And I ask you, do we do that? Do we despise God's name and not even realize we're doing it? That's a deep question. It's, a, it's an important question. Do I even realize the way I treat God? Do I think about it? Do I even care of how I'm treating him? You guys are welcome. This is the same thing God gave me, so I just shared it. I find it to be a very uh, scary thought process that I could be displeasing, I can be despising God, that I can be living in a way that I could be careless about who he is, and I don't even notice it. And I would venture to say it happens to me, if not daily, at least weekly. Because I don't pay attention enough. I'm not focusing on him enough. I'm not living a life that is trying to be all in with him. Right? I can say I'm all in with him, but until it shows daily, it's a tough situation. And uh, scripture that the Lord showed me in this was Matthew 24, and it's verse 36, and it's uh, 
It's one we've been hearing a lot in society lately. And in the, in the scripture there, uh, Jesus is talking about what it's going to look like in the end times. And he said, nobody will know when the time would come. None of that. But then he goes on and he says, it'll be just as the days of Noah. It'll be just as the days of Noah. And sometimes we listen to that and we're like, oh yeah, man, we see that all over. There's heathens everywhere. You know, all these people in their idolatry and sin and sexual immorality and evil being good and good being evil. But then Jesus follows that up and he says, basically he says they're just going to be living life like they've always lived life. Right? They're going to be given in, mar- in marriage. They're going to be working. They're going to be doing their daily activities. And when I come, they won't be ready. Some will be ready and they'll go to heaven and some will still be stuck in the field because they were never ready. And uh, it's great whenever we look at the end time stuff and we see all the, hey, you don't want to be in that sexual immorality. You don't want to be this. But Jesus said, hey, you don't even want to be somebody who's not even thinking about me coming. You don't want to be those kind of people. In Noah's time, most of the people, there was a lot of bad people, but most of the people just were not listening to Noah. He kept telling them over and over, you have to turn to God, you have to be closer to God, you have to do this, that. And he kept saying, be on the boat when the time happens. And we can preach every single Sunday, you need to be closer to God, you need to have a heart after God, you need to be focusing on Him, keep your lamp full. But then we can go to work on Monday and never give him a thought. We can go home tonight and think about everything we have to do and never give him a thought. I can wake up Tuesday morning and just think of everything I have to do and never give God a thought. And that simply, I did nothing that would be perceived as wrong, but my heart has left him out. Just like that. It takes no time at all for us to go from a place of, God, I love you, I want you, you deserve everything, I honor you, I praise you, to I just got to go do everything. I got to get my life done. I got to do this. I have to do that. And never thinking, Lord, what would please you? Lord, when I go throughout my day, if you want me to do this, be with me. Thank you, Lord, I have a job to go to. Lord, let me bless you today. Let me share your gospel. Let me show people who it is that I serve. Right? We, we, how often do we sit and actually do that? Every once in a while we think about it and we're like, oh yeah, that was a good day. I, I thought about God, but the next day we may be right back out there in our minds. And it's not like, it's easy to say we all do it. But the truth is, if we all do it, it's only because We're not practicing. And we're not committed to it. And we're not making a conscious effort that every day I'm going to put God first. Every day it's going to be about Him. Every single day. When I wake up in the morning, Jesus, it's you. When I stop and eat lunch, Jesus, it's you. When I get home from work, Jesus, it's still you. When I sit down on my couch, Lord, it's still you. What about that? Is that hard to do? 
I will tell you this, there's nothing in Scripture that isn't simple. It just may not be easy. But it is simple. The things of this world are easy because Satan will never try to stop you from doing them. The greatest commandment in all of Scripture, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. And we love those scriptures, but how good are we at them, right? The number one scripture in a satanic Bible is not the same. It's not to love Satan with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's not even to say, go out and do bad things. You'll never see in there where it says to mistreat people. Because what you see in there is it says, go out and do what you want to do. That is the greatest commandment in the Satanic Bible is to do what you desire to do. Isn't that odd? You would think like, well, that don't sound that bad. It takes you out of the will of the Father. Something that simple that you hear every single day on the news, on a TV show, in your workplace, is the same thing Satan's been spewing for years. And we start getting desensitized like it don't sound that bad. I do kind of want to do this. What's wrong with me wanting to do my own thing? And then as you're miserable and you're like, man, God, where are you at? He's like, I've been trying to get your attention. All right? Verse 7 in Malachi 1. By offering polluted food upon my altar, but you say, how have we polluted you? By saying the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? And you're sitting there thinking like, well, I don't offer animals, so it's not me. And that's a good thing, don't offer animals. But what about our offerings? And I don't mean just financially. I mean ourselves. When we say, God, I'm all yours. Are we giving all? Are we giving our leftovers? Right? It uh little funny thing happened to me this morning. I got dressed this morning. And I noticed the way I was dressed. I, I remember used to all the time, uh, young people would always tell me, like, man, you got the style of a homeless man. Right? And uh never bothered me. I thought, man, that's kind of a compliment, maybe. And then, uh so this morning when I got dressed, I noticed I had the style of a homeless man, so I changed clothes and... This is better, if you're wondering. Like, this is better than the homeless man look I had. But then when my brother came here, people began telling him he looked like a homeless man. And so I was thinking of that this morning, of why do we both look like homeless men a lot of times? And I blame my mom. Not that she looks like a homeless lady. She got her own style. She don't, she don't look like a By the way, everybody say happy birthday to my mom. She's 71 today. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, happy birthday to her. But, but whenever I was younger, my dad always had good jobs. But he also had a drinking problem and a gambling problem. We didn't have much. So what my mom would do was whenever it was time to buy his stuff, we'd either go to clearance racks or secondhand stores. And as John and I got older, at first he would go out and get the higher-end stuff, but as we got older, we realized... 
hey, we need to go get those clearance sections things, right? So we get the stuff that is the leftover, right? We don't get the stuff that's like top of the line, cool stuff, because honestly, even if I did, I'd be out of style. I don't understand fashion. I just, you know, I, I wear whatever I buy. And then I, I don't buy it thinking, oh, that's a cool looking shirt. I buy it and say, hey, that's cheap. And, uh, but it's the stuff nobody else wanted, right? Homeless people are the same way. When we go give the homeless people, we're not going into our freezer and we think, man, I got some filet mignon up here. Let me cook that up and give it to the homeless guy. Now we're looking for the can of canned goods that we don't eat, right? We're looking for, we're looking for that, that food that's been there for a while. And we're like, ain't nobody in the house like this stuff. Let's give it to somebody. We'll give it to the food bank, right? And whatever's left over is what other people get like that. That's where my fashion is. It's a, it's a beautiful fashion. But it, uh, we do that. We do that with other people. First off, I will tell you something. If we do that, like whenever there's just food drives and we, we clean out the pantry with the stuff that's been in there for three years and we're like, ah, they can have this. When we do that, it's probably not loving people the way we love ourselves. I'll say that first. But when we present our offering to God in that same way of, I'll give him what's left over, I'll give him what's not the best, it's the same way as sacrificing a blind animal or an animal with faults, right? But instead, if I could wake up and I say, God, you get all, it's all yours, take everything. Lord, if I don't have time to make it to work, but I have time to worship you, if that's what you want, I'm yours. But usually we wake up and we're like, okay, today I have to, I gotta get to work. After work, I gotta go pick up the kids here, or I gotta go do this, I gotta run this errand, I gotta pay this bill, I gotta do this. And then hopefully, God, if I have some time left, maybe about eight o'clock, I'll read my Bible. Does that sound like a good offering? Does that sound like your best? Or does that sound like you're saying, God, I have a life and I'll fit you in where I can fit you in? That's what Jesus, God himself, is mad at right here in this moment. What he's speaking through Malachi is, I'm tired of you guys taking everything and then giving me what you have left over as if I'm an afterthought. God does not want to be an afterthought in your life. He wants to be the first thought in your life. Number one. And I'm telling you, I'm preaching this to you only because God said it to me first. And then I felt like I was to share it with you. He should never be second, third, fourth, or last. And usually he's last. Some of the things that I was thinking of whenever I was uh, trying to figure out how I know if I'm putting God on the back burner. And here's some of the things I wrote down. If I say things such as, I would have done that, but I would have been there like I said I would, but this came up, but this, but that, right? Or things like, God, I would do these things, but, right? Or if I had this, I would, but I don't. Or if this was happening in my life, I could do this. Or, man, if I can just get some money, I can... I can do some good stuff for the kingdom. If I can get this position, 
I can do this. If I can get this job, I can do that. If I can get these hours at work, I can do this. If I can get this, I can do that. And we start making thank, telling the Lord, hey, if you just provide, I'll do something. Instead of saying, Lord, thank you for what you've given me. Show me how I can bless you. How can I give to you? What can I do today, Lord? God, you gave me this job. And I am working the stupidest hours ever, but when I wake up in the morning, I'm praising you. When I wake up in the morning, it's going to be about you. And when I wake up in the morning, it has to be about him. Right? There should be no, man, if God could give me this amount of money, I'll build an orphanage, I'll do this, I'll do that. But what about right now? What are you doing right now? He shouldn't have to wait for us to do what he's calling us to do. Verse 9 says, And now entreat the favor of God, that He may be gracious to you. With such a gift from your hand, will He show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. And that's a question, that last part. So He said, Hey, live in a way that I can bless you, but are any of you doing anything I can bless? Are any of you guys giving anything I can bless? Now, often we want God to bless us in the things that we're giving to the world. Or we're wanting to bless us in our own plan. Or we're wanting to bless us just for the sake of blessing us. And he's trying to tell us, look, man, if you don't offer it to me, if you don't give it to me, I can't bless it. Right? If you're going to work every day hoping for the promotion, you're hoping that God will do something amazing there, but you don't allow God to be a part of your work, How's he even allowed to get in there and bless it? Right? If you're asking for God to do a miracle in your family, to save your kids, to do something in your house, yet God's not at the center of your house, how can he bless it? Right? If God is not being offered every part of you, he can't bless every part of you. And this isn't a uh, prosperity gospel. Because I don't think he's going to bless you financially most of the time. I think he's going to bless you with what you need to honor him and to glorify him and what you're doing. And if you're wondering, if you're doing that, you can probably look to see if you're honoring and glorifying him what you're doing, and you'd probably know if you're offering it to him. Right? But when he has to ask things like, with such a gift from your hand, will he even show favor to any of you? And I'm thinking, like, what kind of gifts am I giving him to show favor? Verse 10. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle the fire of my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept any, except an offering from your hand. And this is him saying, hey, if just one of you guys would stop, stop even worshiping me. Stop doing anything for me if this is the way you're going to do it. That's bold. And that's a scary thing. Hey, stop even acting like you care. Stop even acting like you're worshiping me if this is the way you're going to do it, is what he's telling them. Shut the door of the altar if you're going to bring me a weak sacrifice. I don't want to hear that. I don't know about you, but I don't want to hear that. If God's saying, hey, just shut the door. I'm done. 
Like, I can't bless you with what you're bringing me. I want God to say, you fling, fling that door wide open. Get the embers of that fire going so big because the offering you're bringing me, I can bless it. Right? I can use what you've brought me. And truly, what He wants you to bring Him is you. He don't really care about your money. He doesn't care about any of it but you. He wants you. And so like when I go back to me driving by a billboard and thinking like, God, these people could do something better for you. And God's sitting here saying, yeah, so could you. That hits hard. You could be doing a lot better, Eddie. And I'm thinking, you're not wrong. Right? You're not wrong. Of course, I guess he already knew he wasn't wrong. Verse 11, and I want you to hear this. And I know it's important because I put it in bold. It says, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name as a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, said the Lord of hosts. No matter what, whether it's you or not, God will be praised. There will be a pure offering given to him. There will be sacrifices. And it says, and he will be great amongst the nations. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want that happening without me. I want that to be happening through me. I want him to say, through Eddie, I'm being praised. I'm getting the highest offering possible from Eddie. That guy gave me everything. That's what I want him to say. Right? That's what we all should want him to say. Verse 12 says, But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted. I'm going to rephrase that because it's a hard thing for us to think of. And I'm going to explain it to you, but I want you to hear it. You profane it when you say the Lord's table is polluted. And its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. So I'm going to explain that in today's terms. So when you walk into a church and you say, this doesn't look the way it should look. People aren't doing what they should do. This could look a lot better. Why are they doing this? Why is this person doing that? Why are people not doing what I should be doing? Man, this is burdensome. I'd hate even going to church on Sunday. It's hard to even make it there because, I mean, I'm just not getting much out of it. And that's what he's trying to tell us here. When you walk in saying that, right? And it happens sometimes. We can look around and say, why are people not doing what needs to be done here? I could walk in and say, man, people just don't get it. Or why is, some, why is nobody doing this part? Or why is nobody doing this? And I can start despising the place of the Lord. It can become burdensome to even walk into the church door to come to church in the morning because I'm tired. Or I don't even know what I'm going to get out of it. 
I remember Jason not long ago saying we need to stop thinking about what we're going to get out of it and think about what we're going to put into it. Right? What about that? That's a big difference, ain't it? Instead of thinking, why is God not doing something somewhere? Thinking like, why is why am I not letting God do something through me somewhere? Right? See, uh, the old saying, one of my favorite sayings for years and years is, Never pray a prayer that you yourself don't want to be an answer to. Never. Right? Because if you truly, if it's on your heart and you're going to pray it, don't expect somebody else to be the answer to that prayer. You expect yourself to be the answer. Now, God may use somebody else, but if you're going to pray it, you better be willing to step into it. Right? If there's a problem in the place we're worshiping, the problem's probably us. Right. Now, you, I've used it many a times. The, the old military term I always had was, if you're not the solution, you're the problem. Right? If you're not the solution, you're the problem. And we should be trying to be the ones who are stepping in and praising the Lord and giving Him our best and everybody seeing like, whoa, that's good. I want some of that. Instead of people walking in and saying, I didn't even feel God in there. I love that song, Ryan, and then we're singing, Let Us Be the Church, Known for Your Presence Again. That's what we want. That's what we need to be. And I, you know what? And I'm going to tell you, I want all of you right there with me. But if people come in and they're like, I don't know about that church, but that guy has the presence of God all over him, I'm going to still be happy because I'm finally doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Right? You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this is you, you bring as your offering. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? And so I'm going to ask you that. Like, sure, you're not out in the street beating somebody up and taking their money to come give it as an offering. And you may not be bringing sick animals into the building and trying to sacrifice them. But it's the offering you're giving him healthy. Right? Are you giving him your best offering? And I've talked about giving ourselves, which is the most important. I mean, you see it all through Scripture, but financially, physically, mentally, our prayer time, whatever it is, are we giving him our best? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And uh, like I said, we're not sacrificing flocks, but if you told God, hey, I'm all yours, and you're not all his, cursed is that person. Don't, don't vow an offering to God that you're not willing to give Him. It will only be cursed, not blessed. And uh, it's a sad thought, and it's one of those things, not a, it's not the trendy message in America that you're not pleasing to God, or you're not, you know, oh, God loves you, and, you know, just show up, and he, He'll be so happy. No, He won't. He doesn't want you to show up for the sake of showing up. He wants you to show up because you love Him and you want to be with Him. 
He wants your heart. When you come in, you're like, God, I love you, and there's nowhere else I want to be but in your presence. Coming to church on Sunday does nothing for you if your heart ain't in it. Don, Don Brown always had a saying that I absolutely loved. He said, you can go sit in your garage all day long and you'll never be a Corvette. In the same way, you can sit in a pew all day long and you may not be a Christian. Right? You may not be a follower of God just because you show up. But you're a follower of God if you're following God. If you're giving yourself to God. If He's number one. Right? And Ryan, you can start coming up. I'm going to share this quote that, uh, that I found in, the, in a commentary that I absolutely love. And, uh, and it's by Richard Baxter. He's a Puritan writer. And uh, he says, But consider plainly that the great and lamentable sin of ministers of the gospel is that they not fully devote to God. So he's saying as ministers, as people who are following the gospel, we're supposed to be sharing it. The most lamentable thing is, is that we're not fully devoted to him. Then he says, they do not give themselves up wholly to be blessed work they have undertaken to do. So we commit ourselves to doing something, to following, to being there, and then we're not even committed to it. We haven't given ourselves over for him to bless anything. Is it not true that flesh-pleasing and self-seeking interest, distinct from that of Christ, make us neglect our duty and lead us to walk unfaithfully in great trust that God has given us? So would it be because we're trying to please the flesh or trying to please ourselves that we're self-seeking? Is that possibly the reason why we're not giving our best to God? Because it's more about us than it is about Him. Is it not true that we serve God too cheaply? I'm going to rephrase that. I'm going to re-say that. Is it not true that we serve God too cheaply? Are we willing to invest everything? Do we not do so in the most applauded way? It's really good to give your best when people see it. But do we do it when they don't? Do we not withdraw ourselves from that which would cost us the most suffering? Hmm. Does not all this show that we seek earthly rather than heavenly things? And I'm not saying this, but I'm backing it up. I agree with him. And that we might, we mind the things which are below while we preach for the realities which are above, do we not idolize the world? And how many of us will walk through every day talking about how great God is and tell people, hey, I love Jesus, and then live as if we care more about the world than we do Him? Right? So what remains to be said, brethren, but to cry that we are all guilty of too many of the un- of aforementioned sins do we not need to humble ourselves in lamentation for our miscarriages before the Lord and uh, I love that I love that he points it out he says it in such a way 
that we all not need to humble ourselves. Say, God, I don't have it. I'm not doing it. But God, I'm going to get, I'm going to lament where I've fallen short. And we can now ask him to help us be all in, to give everything, to give an offering that is pleasing and an offering that can be blessed. If you're, if you sit around and you wonder like, man, I just wish I can be a blessing to God. Give him something to bless. Right. Give him something to use. Try it once. See what happens. Then keep trying it and then see how much he can bless it. Right. When Pastor Chad became our pastor, I talk about how awesome he is as a pastor, and I mean that wholeheartedly. But when he became our pastor, he wasn't even certified to be a pastor. He wasn't ordained to be a pastor. And God said, hey, I want you to be the pastor of Wellspring. And he could have easily sat back and said, God, I kind of like the way I have it. But instead, he said, God, I'm all in. And I'm going to tell you what. Anybody that's been close to him over the last few years, it's been a sacrifice. It's been a lot of suffering. It's been a lot of pain. And he kept saying, God, I'm still in. We have to do the same thing. Not that God's telling you, hey, go be the pastor of Wellspring, but God's telling you something you're supposed to be doing that you're not doing. He didn't start out, first thing God spoke to him was to be a pastor. He started out a long time ago when God said, start studying my word, and he started studying God's word. Right? I didn't start out up here preaching to anybody. I started out cleaning toilets in the, in the church. You know what? I did my best and I gave my best. And actually, it was some of the greatest times of my life was whenever I was just doing those things in the church. Because God said, I want you to do this. And I said, I'm going to give all I have to that. And Mike knows he came along and he, God told him, he said, do the same. And God blessed it. But you have to start somewhere for God to be able to bless you. Hmm. I'm going to pray here in a minute. And, uh, we're going to do a little bit of worship and then we're going to do communion. And whenever you go into 1 Corinthians 11 and you do communion afterwards, it talks about evaluating yourself. And that evaluation, I used to think, was a little bit different. I used to think it was like to try to figure out if your, your sins are good, but actually it's all about your heart. It's saying evaluate your heart. Are you doing it for the right reasons? Are you coming in just to feed yourself? Are you doing it to be part of the body and to glorify God? Right? Are you doing it out of legalism? Because he actually says if you try to obey one law, you're guilty of all law. We have to know our heart. And I take us back to Mary. All these people were standing around these teachers of the law, these Pharisees, the ones who are closest to Jesus, following Jesus, and not one of them was willing to give all. Not one of them gave him a kiss. Not one of them fell at his feet. Not one of them anointed him. Not one of them who were the ones who were supposed to be doing it did it. But Mary walked right on past them said, I give everything to you, Jesus. I'm yours. 
And I'm going to say as we're going to be worshiping here and praying. Don't wait for somebody else. Don't even look around. Don't even think about well, nobody else is doing this or nobody else did that. Do what God calls you to do. If He tells you to get up here and get on your face, get up here and get on your face. If He says go up here and ask somebody for prayer, come up here and get prayer. If He says you to make a, tells you to make an altar at your seat, you make an altar at your seat. But don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Alright, so I'm going to pray. Ryan's going to worship. Then I'm going to pray some more. Father God, I thank you for who you are, Lord. God, I ask that you would just help me to help all of us, Lord, to be all in with you, to give you our best, to give you who we are, God. Not to ask that you use somebody else, not to ask that you make it easy, Lord, but God, use us. Give us the strength, to God, to to surrender to you, to give you everything, God, to give you our best offering, our our pure offering, God, our healthy offering, the best of us, God. And God, as we go into this worship, Lord, I pray you would search our hearts. Reveal to us how that looks in each of us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The altars are open if you need them. to do communion and uh, I want us to remember why we do this as a reminder of what Jesus did for us of who he is and that he will be returning and it's all about him not us and uh going to open it up and we'll just make two lines come up and get the elements when everybody has the elements we'll go into communion but it uh all the elements are behind me and just come as you feel led so go into communion, I want you to just remember if anybody knew how to give a great sacrifice, it was God. We, we, we have a difficult time surrendering ourselves fully, but Jesus emptied himself of his divine nature to come down from heaven to live the perfect life for us. To do it because we couldn't do it. Knowing we would never be able to do it, he took himself to the cross and died for our sins, paying for them because we never could. He suffered the most gruesome death that anybody in history had ever suffered. He went through more than any of us would ever go through, and we often thank God, how do you know what I'm going through? Because he went through worse. 
not only did he pay for our sins, three days later he came up out of that grave. Rolled away the stone and walked right on out. Ascended into heaven, making it possible that if we would just believe, we'd be with him. That's a sacrifice. That's an offering. That's giving all you have. And that is somebody who deserves it. So as we go into communion, I want us to remember that. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father God, we thank you for your plan. Jesus, we thank you that you died on the cross for our sins and you gave everything for us, Lord, so we can be with you. To bridge that gap, Lord, where we fell short, you were more than enough. God, even though we didn't deserve it, you chose us, you wanted us, and you made the way, Lord. So as we take this bread, Lord, we remember all that you did for us. In Jesus' name, let's take the bread. same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes Father God we thank you we thank you for the new covenant Lord we thank you that we're no longer bound by law, Lord, but we are, we are free from grace. It is by your stripes that all is paid for. It is by what you did that we have the promise of eternal life with you because you wanted us with you forever. We are so grateful and thankful for that, Lord, and I pray, Lord, I pray we will never forget it. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's take the cup. Father God, I pray for everybody in here, Lord. That as we go throughout this day, throughout this week, throughout our life, Lord, that we would never forget to put you first. That we would remember that you deserve not only our best, Lord, but you deserve everything. Remind us we would have nothing without you, Lord. No matter what we have, if we don't have you, we have nothing. So Lord, let us live in a way that we want to honor you, that we want to please you, and we want to be a blessing to you. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.